Hey, it's Lynn Galadner, and this is the Make Meaning Podcast. I am a writer and an entrepreneur, and through decades of writing articles for magazines and newspapers and authoring books, I've wondered what makes life meaningful and what makes work worth doing. In my day job, I help schools and universities, entrepreneurs and leaders learn how to market and grow their reach. You can learn more about my company, Your People, at yourppl.com. I also am a writing coach, and I teach my signature Find Your Voice Writers Workshop, through writingworkshops.com and at makemeaning.org. I help people, organizations, and movements find their voice and gain the confidence to use it. Because everything we do means something. Why waste your moments? You are needed. You can make the world better. And by caring about the people you encounter and the tasks you take on, you get closer every day to finding your unique meaning and living life with purpose. This podcast focuses on all the many ways people make meaning in the mundane. You'll hear stories of courageous people daring to imagine a life they love. If you like what you hear, give us a review on any of the podcast platforms you find this show. There are many ways to fill your life with meaning. Join us at makemeaning.org to learn more. Now, on to the show. Dean Stark is one of the most successful high school basketball coaches, leading Sacramento Waldorf School's team to 635 wins and 16 conference titles in 34 years of coaching. In his second book, Uncommon, Inside My Coaching Career at Sacramento Waldorf, Dean shares his journey to a coaching career that aligns with the principles and philosophies of Waldorf education and which empowers him and his players to reach great heights. Dean's approach to competition is unlike what most school sport environments may be. He shares his philosophy on motivating players as opposed to focusing solely on winning and emphasizes constant personal improvement over racing to the top and burning out in the process. He also shares insights from his players and from his colleagues and from his mentors on the job he's doing and the perspective he brings. I know Dean personally from my days managing marketing for Sacramento Waldorf School, and I admire his deal for life and his commitment to compassionate leadership. I am thrilled to welcome him today to the Make Meaning Podcast. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's really an honor. I'm sort of a fangirl of Sack Waldorf and like everything you guys do out there. And so I was really excited to read your book and to get more in depth with sort of how you do what you do. I mean, it was remarkable to me when I was working with Sacramento Waldorf in marketing and public relations that for such a small school, an independent school, you have such an amazing athletic track record. And so, um, I loved reading your book about how how you approach coaching, how your career has been. And it was really remarkable to me that, you know, at the end of your book, you say that you began the job at Zach Waldorf at the age of 21 with no vision other than to get some experience before moving on to a bigger school, you know, and yet you've stayed for a really long time. So what I'd like to start with is to hear you tell me why you stayed and what you learned about your own career and your goals along the way. Yeah. Why I stayed, you know, it's like you said, I, I had no intention of staying and I, and I was very much clear in my, in my path. I was going to go on and coach college baseball. And, um, but this was a good place to start. And my first couple years really enjoyed it. I was shocked at how much I enjoyed it. And I was like, wow, this is clearly my path as far as coaching for sure. But I, you know, I, I got, I had a really strong connection with the kids, you know, and I felt like, 
And then there was always a couple of them that's like, okay, I'm just going to wait till this person graduates. And once this person graduates, I'm going to go and, and do the next thing. And I thought I would go coach at a big public high school for a few years. And then after that, you know, move to college. And uh, so the, the amazing thing was once that kid X was going to graduate, now there was kid XY that were juniors. That I said, well, God, I can't leave now. I got to wait till these guys graduate. And that literally would happen every single year. Uh-huh. So even though I was really kind of uh, resisting the urge of becoming full-time here, because mm-hmm. I was working part-time and doing something else, I just really slowly, you know, it took me about six years to finally say, okay, this is where I'm going to be. Uh-huh. And then even after that, you know, I, I was, I've been absolutely happy. I mean, this is my year 37, you know, so I've been here <laughs> for a long time, but there's been, you know, probably a dozen times in my career to where you, I think most people always look forward and say, is, you know, should I be doing something different? Should I be challenging myself in another way? Or, and I often thought, Matt, wow, it'd be so amazing to coach phenomenal athletes or something and, and really see what your system could do somewhere else. But I have all, why I stayed as part of your question is the relationship with the students. And like yeah. you said, you know, the, the impact that Sack Waldorf had on you in, in a brief period of time. Yeah, it's just, you know, I have two older brothers that are in, in education often would encourage me to go into public school education because of the benefits or the retirement or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. But the relationship with students that I have compared to what they had is not even close, you know, mm-hmm. so the depth of what I was getting, experiencing and hopefully imparting, I don't think that I could compare that anywhere else. And, yeah. and sponsorship also, which is kind of a somewhat unique thing to Waldorf education, huh. that all of it combined was like, you know, this is the place for me. Yeah. What do you mean by the sponsorship? Tell me a little bit about that. Well, so, you know, in Waldorf school, you know, you have the classroom teacher, ideally from first grade through eighth grade. So that's mm-hmm. a a teacher that takes that group potentially for eight years. And what an extraordinary experience. In the high school, we don't really have that, but you have generally two sponsors Mm -hmm. that will be with the class from the ninth grade through the 12th grade. And they'll be, they interview all the prospective students. They kind of oversee the social dynamic, um, all the fundraising, class trips, all that thing. And Mm -hmm. so I stepped on as a sponsor in the fall of 92 mm-hmm. and I've been sponsoring every year till current. So I, it's wow. been, this is my ninth class that I've sponsored. And wow. uh, that just, again, the richness in relationship. And the one thing I always miss was, you know, I, I get such a close relationship with my players. Uh-huh. I kind of wanted to have that with more than just my players mm-hmm. and sponsorship allows that for me. So it's just another special part of the Waldorf uh, experience that I think it kind of separates it from other institutions. Yeah, for sure. You know, it's interesting too, because as you're, as you're talking, I'm thinking about, you know, my husband has had one job in his career. He works at Wayne State University. He's an archivist in a library and he loves it. And he plans to be there until he retires. And it's very similar to you. You know, you, he didn't intend to be in one place, but he just sort of found his place, his passion, and he, he loves going to work every day. And I, I see that in you too. And so I want to ask you, you know, I think, the, the general American mentality is, you know, keep moving up and keep moving on. And maybe that doesn't serve us well. You know, I know in my parents' generation, having one job, one company, your whole career was not unusual. It's yeah. become so. But I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that, about sort of even changing your perspective on your career because you found a place where you just feel like you fit and it 
it's a match. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. And it's actually, it's, it's an interesting question for me personally right now, because I'm getting to that age where, you know, I'm starting to contemplate retirement. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and I, again, I have three older brothers, two of them have retired. Mm -hmm. Um, One, the other one is on the brink of retirement. And, And so I see maybe the, I don't want to use the word negative, but you know, the benefits of when the route that they went in their retirement, where one who was a probation officer for 30 plus years, you know, dealing with not maybe the best element of society. Um, but now is he moved to Maui and he's walking on a beach every single day and he has a glorious retirement. So I'm like, okay, that's, I know that, you know, say what you want about Waldorf education, but the retirement is not great. So right. that's probably not an option for me is, is to spend my retirement years walking on a beach in Maui. Um, <laughs> So I feel like, okay, so maybe that, but on the flip side is he was in a, he was in a career for th- almost 35 years that he didn't love mm. and he went to work, you know, sometimes with a scowl on his face and just dealing with stuff to just to kind of get through it and counted his days to the end and all of that stuff. And, and, and literally, you know, I can show up and have, you know, I almost wherever I walk on campus, I'm going to be greeted even by kindergartners that are going to be with their heads peeking over the fence saying, hi, Dean, or hi, coach, or something. And I can walk down to the fourth graders and fourth graders are waving at me and I go to high school and I got high. So it's just this embracing, you know, feeling wherever you go that, and, and that's my day. That's a day in my life, you know, that I, that I get to live, you know, year after year after year. Mm-hmm. So you can't put a value on that, you know? So right. I, so I did, I never would have dreamt that it would be 37 years and counting. Yeah. Um, and I do realize in the future that, you know, you know, who knows what's going to happen with retirement and how I navigate that. Yeah. You know, fortunately, you know, my wife does pretty well, <laughs> so that's a piece of it. but um, I wouldn't trade it for, for anything. I mean, this, this has been, I've been given so much more than I could ever repay. So I'm, I'm very, very thankful for the, the path that I chose. That's awesome. That's awesome. So I know that over the years, you have melded your personal philosophies with Waldorf philosophies. And some of the things you said in your book um, that sort of lead me to that include these quotes. We have high expectations. We hold players accountable. We have a philosophy of sport, the why, the how. We show them what playing on a team can ultimately mean instead of dedicating one's life to sport I want my players to dedicate their sport to life. So I wonder if you could walk me through these values a little bit and unpack them for me about how this Waldorf philosophy sort of pervades athlete, you know, athletics as well as the other way around. When I arrived again, and I, and I would say this is not what I'm sharing about the, the Sacramento Waldorf experience. I, I don't think I don't think that's the Waldorf experience, you know, worldwide. I think a lot of it is individual, and it depends on the the nucleus of people that you have working at a particular institution. But when I arrived, there wasn't a philosophy of sport, you know, and and it was like, yeah, everyone was thinking that participation was a good idea, Mm -hmm. but they really were like, wait a minute, you know, we got to be careful with this because, you know, this is an academic, rigorous academic institution, and we don't want that to, to come in the way of their studies. So I really try to instill what sports can be, you know, and yes, there is going to be competition. Competition doesn't have to be bad. It mm-hmm. can be brought in a way that really fosters the spirit of, of participation and those things. And it's, it's okay to want to win. So mm-hmm. I think that was another thing too, with, with competition. Some people think, 
win is a bad word. You know, the, oh, you know, it says it doesn't matter. You know, it does matter. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it's it's striving to win is what matters. So mm-hmm. I try to instill that, hey, if we're going to do this, we're going to be serious. You know, mm-hmm. this is this is a commitment that we're going to make. This is a sacrifice that we're going to make. Mm-hmm. And there are you are going to be held accountable. The days of I can't make practice because I'm going to get I have to get my hair cut. Those days are <laughs> over. It's like right. if you're going to be on this team, you're going to fully commit. And mm-hmm. and it's and one of the biggest challenges because we still are at a no cut sport. Mm-hmm. You know, um, um, so you can participate in any sport that you want, mm-hmm. and that's wonderful. Mm-hmm. But if it's just given to you and here's your uniform, Johnny or Susie, and, and you know, you can come if not or, not or not show up if you that you're not getting everything that you can get from that offering. So for me, I was like, OK, yes, you're going to get a uniform, but mm-hmm. you have to earn, you know, the the, the opportunity to wear it, being yeah. that I'm going to give them. Um, you know, they have to run a mile under a certain time, a two mile under a certain time and a quarter mile under a certain time. Mm-hmm. And then when they do those things, that qualifies them for being able to be on on the team to, to play mm-hmm. so that they so they've earned something. And that's been an incredible success because and I, I put the, the times that are difficult but doable. Mm-hmm. I've had every student accomplish it, every athlete that has done it. Some of them took five times to be able to do it, but they did it. Mm-hmm. And there was great camaraderie and spirit behind that with their with their, their teammates uh, cheering them on when they're sprinting across the finish line or something. So mm-hmm. accountability is is really important. My my guys know that they're get, they're never going to miss practice. Yeah. That that and 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 that uh, the expectation is they're going to give me everything that they have. I'm very demand. I think that they really appreciate that. I speak the truth mm-hmm. that I don't sugarcoat. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to give them false praise. Mm-hmm. So they know when I give them compliments, wow, they really earned it. Mm-hmm. And I, and I'm not above or afraid of getting on them mm-hmm. if, if they're falling short of that, especially in the effort part. So yeah. I think that those things are really desperately needed, especially today, because there's not enough of that. I believe there's not enough of just like the hard truth. Mm. Um, and, and it's okay to, to, to hear that because yeah. that's, that's, what's going to, in my experience, um, inspire them to raise their level. So, yeah. so I think that philosophy of sport of really accountability and, and commitment and sacrifice. And, and I give them examples of these things all the time. So they're hearing about how other people have done it. And I, I just, I, I see the end result and I get kids that when they graduate, they're in tears mm-hmm. about, uh, speaking about their, their high school sports experience. It's really interesting. There's there's so much there. And I, I was thinking about, you know, I have four kids, they're teenagers, and my oldest um, was actually very involved in sports, but he was never really athletic. And so he just, he knew that he wasn't a natural born athlete, but he would have to work harder than everybody. And he would probably never be the fastest at whatever he was doing, but he put in so much heart and soul and effort. And it's interesting because I've seen teams where you know, the coaches are mean and hazing and, and it's a really toxic culture. I've seen teams where everybody gets an award, which also is not beneficial. Um, and I coached my youngest son on soccer for 10 years when he started when he was four. So it was just like, let's go be outside and kick a ball around and just, you know, look at the butterflies and whatever. Um, but over the years, as they grew older, it became more about teaching, you know, sportsmanship and strategy and, 
um, doing your best, even if it's not the best on the team, but everybody doing their best and really, you know, rising to their potential. And, and I, it was always recreational soccer. And my younger son is, is quite a natural born athlete. He was the one I was coaching. And as he got older, when it was more appropriate, I, um, I asked, asked him if he wanted to try out for a travel team and he really didn't. And I said, that's cool. It's fine. We can say rack. Um, and he plays for his high school now, but, um, but you know, I I liked that that it was something that everybody could access, but they still had to put in that effort, because there's such a culture from a very young age that in so many communities that you know you've got to get your kids into sports, they've got to be the best they can be, and most of these kids are never going to be professional athletes, and so you know why are we spending thousands of dollars all the time and and killing ourselves to for what purpose? You know, so you talk about this in your book that so many kids in that sort of line of thinking burn out. And they don't love the sport and they're not, they're not doing it for the right reasons, you know? And then of course you look at Waldorf schools, a lot of them have sort of a, a strange relationship with, with sport, you know, that it, because there's, there's this anti-competition mentality. And I do think that there's the healthiness is somewhere in the middle there. And so I just wonder if you have a perspective on, you know, what do we need in American, you know, childhood to change our sport perspective so that it's a little more reasonable and, and I guess, accessible for most people. That's really where the artistry of coaching comes in, I believe. So I think that the, the coaches that you have, it's so important that they are aligning themselves with the right characteristics and the right traits and the right goals for their team. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone wants to win a league championship, right? And that's always going to be on, on one of my goals, but it's way down there. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, I want to make the experience special for all of my, all of my players. And, and I think it's really easy to ask the the star player about what is what was his experience his or her experience because oh it's great because you know they're getting they're playing every single game they're playing all the minutes they're taking all the big shots or or whatever Mm -hmm. so their experience is probably good but for me i always looked at what are the kids that are making all of this sacrifice all of this commitment but aren't getting to play in the game Mm -hmm. and because and and that's another thing which is somewhat controversial too especially at waldorf schools is how come they don't get, they should all play equally. And, and, mm-hmm. and, and I understand the the reasoning behind that, but I disagree with it, but I, mm-hmm. I feel like, you know, and we can get into that too. That's another conversation I want, I, but I would love to talk about it. I'd go for it. I'd love to well, hear about just, it. Yeah. You know, at, well, just with playing time is it's not as simple as that, because if we call, again, if we call Billy and Bobby, Billy's whole life is basketball and he's committing every single day in the off season, running and sprinting and lifting and shooting and doing all these things. And mm-hmm. Bobby hasn't picked up a ball the entire summer. Mm-hmm. The only reason he's going to play in the game wants to play on the team is because it's good for his college resume. <laughs> then, then why does Billy and Bobby have to play equally when Bobby has, hasn't shown any commitment? So yeah. that's why it can't just be as simple as everyone is guaranteed playing time. Or, and yeah. no, you earn your playing time and, mm-hmm. Uh, what I was going to say earlier was, and I'll just, uh, hopefully I can use this kid's name in public here, but Jaden Zwern, he, he's, he's a senior. Uh-huh. He's not the greatest athlete and he's not the greatest basketball player, but he has a phenomenal attitude. He's never going to miss. He gives it his absolute all every single day, uh-huh. everything you would want in a player. You know, I'm getting a little choked up right now, just thinking about him. Uh-huh. And he's totally selfless, totally committed. It's all about the team. Now, unfortunately, due to the pandemic, his senior year was taken away from him, right? So he didn't get to play. But that's what I'm looking for. And if I know that I can reach that kid, here's a kid that didn't get to play when the game was on the line. 
Um, but he can still speak so fondly about his experience on the team and, yeah. and what the sport meant to him and, and the characteristics and traits that he will take on after high school. Mm-hmm. That's when you know your program is going in the right direction. So I look at the people that don't get a chance to play as much, and but what is their experience still? And then so so that's how I kind of define our sports program. Mm-hmm. So I, I really feel like that's when, regardless of what you know, that that's how you can kind of determine what sports can be. And so I I never I try to stay in that lane all the time to really look to see what what is the experience my players are having. Well, that actually leads into another question that I have on my list here. And you know, there's a statistic that you cite in your book that. Um, 45 million children play a team sport in their youth. And so I wanted to get your take on, you know, what do you think kids get out of that experience, whether it's like a year in rec soccer or it's their whole childhood that they're playing different sports or whatever, or committing to one in a really serious way, you know, what are those values or character traits or character development that, that youngsters get by participating in, in team sports? I mean, there's, there's the simple answers and I almost hate to say them because I think every person that asks, asks a question, they're going to almost immediately go, Oh, there's time management and all that stuff. And it's true. I mean, you are going to learn to manage your time. You are going to learn to be more organized. You're going to have to maybe really think about sacrifice and, you know, what are you having to give up, you know, whether it's social time or whatever, and all that stuff is legit. Mm -hmm. I, I just think that again, it comes down to how, serious or I really feel like, you know, like we've done these things where in fact, we're just doing one. I, you know, I, in my book, I write, I write about a Misogi where mm-hmm. we did a, we did a 20 week competition where they had to, they had to write out their goals and, and set their commitment. And this is what they were going to do every day for 20 weeks. And it was a, this phenomenal thing. So we're doing this, this one and it, and it turned out we had the pandemic. We didn't get to play, but now I'm doing this thing is called our vision quest, our vision quest 21, 22, which is brand new, just started this month. Mm-hmm. With, and it's not going to be the same intensity of every day, but it's, it's far reaching. It's six months. You know, what are you going to do over these six months? How are you going to be a different person from, from May 3rd to November 1st, you know, cause mm-hmm. November 1st is our first day of basketball. If we have a season next year mm-hmm. and, and how are you going to change? And then, and then if these are the things that you're going to change, how, how are you going about doing it? Mm-hmm. And it's, and it's, these are, it's these things that really start are, that make lifelong changes in somebody. Cause that's when they start to realize, wow, if I really can commit to something, if I do set these goals and I can accomplish this, I had somebody come back after 20 weeks, he was 20 pounds lighter Hmm. and he was on top of the world because Hmm. he was the first time in his life that he truly committed to something. He had the will forces to do it. He had the camaraderie around him to keep him focused instead of just quitting because he was tired of it. So Mm -hmm. it's, it's trying to create scenarios where a group can do something together, looking at something bigger than themselves. Mm -hmm. So those are the areas that that's when I think that sports is just the vehicle of it, but you can really start to shape your career Mm. because of the commitments that you're making and the discipline that you're having in your life currently. Yeah. I was thinking a lot when I was reading your book about this. So I'm a word nerd. So the word coach, I was like sort of playing with it and thinking about it. And, you know, there's this huge trend um, right now toward personal coaching. So people becoming a life coach or, you know, in some way, um, 
working with people in that in that capacity. So it's like not therapy, but it's not consulting. It's you know it's kind of interesting. And I was thinking about using that term coach. So that's not a, an athletic pursuit. It's you know helping you with your career, your life, or something like that. And I I was wondering about that, and I wanted to ask you. I know it's a little bit off topic, but it made me wonder what a coach's true role is. You know, because in that capacity, it's to sort of reflect and guide, but not to tell someone what to do necessarily, just to sort of be sort of that that shaper of the path or that kind of thing. So from the actual role that you've been playing as a, as a sports coach, you know, how would you say, you know, how would you define a coach's role? Is it telling people how to play the game? Like, are you on the sidelines? Because I haven't seen you coach in person. I've watched videos, but I haven't been there. So is it, you know, yelling out what they should be doing on the court? Or is it empowering? Like, tell me a little bit about what you think like a, a good coach's role really is. Yeah. Well, there's certainly more way, more than one way. And there's uh-huh. people that are very different that have great successes. And so I think it, 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 whatever it is, it needs to be true to you. It needs to be real to you. So whatever fits your personality, but it's interesting that you asked that question because nobody calls me coach. I mean, well, I shouldn't say nobody, very few people. I mean, uh, they all call me Dean and I'm not one of those. I never wear a whistle. You know, mm-hmm. so you think of the the stereotype, you know, of a coach, you know, he's got a whistle and he's barking out stuff. So mm-hmm. um, and not to say that's good or bad. I just it just never was felt like it was me. So mm-hmm. and, and trust me, I think a coach, there's a that's a great thing to be called. I think a coach, there's a lot of qualities in that. So for me, I guess why I'm not called coach, because I've always wanted to be more than that. I mm-hmm. think that what it really comes down to, I want them to think of me as not just their coach. To me, that's sports. You know, coach is the sports. And I know you're life coach and it's, it's expanding that that definition. But at, at the high school setting, it's kind of been coaches is sports. And I, I'm also that mentor. I'm also that counselor. I'm also that advisor. I'm also that sponsor. I'm also that teacher mm-hmm. that I want them to come to me with maybe their personal challenges or their hopes or their dreams or their, or their struggles. or, And I want them to see me that way. And, and, I, and I do believe that a great coach's responsibility is to inspire. And, and, and I feel like it's probably one of the areas I would like to believe that's one of my greatest assets as a coach. And I also feel like it's what keeps many of the coaches from truly achieving what they could as a coach. Mm -hmm. Cause there's a lot of coaches that know X's and O's and and know the fundamentals of, of things and know how to teach them really well, Mm -hmm. but who can inspire that person to, so they have a vision that they want to be this because, you know, because of what, you know, what is out there. So I, I try to give them visual aids all the time about, you know, why are we doing this? You know, what can you be? What, what can this experience be like? So mm-hmm. to me, a coach has so, has so many opportunities to impact. And it's just a matter of just taking the time to how can I connect with that kid, you know, mm-hmm. and, and thinking, you know, a little bit. And, and I try to do that as much as I can when I have free moments okay, I'm just going to reach out to so-and-so today just because I, I want them to know that I really care. Mm-hmm. So so to me, it, that is really a, a big part of it is they they need to know that you really care about them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it goes back to what you said in the beginning of the interview that it's relationships. It's yeah. relationships you can have with the students and um, 
it's person to person. I mean, it's just, it's priceless. I don't, yeah, I think that's a beautiful way to say it. So I wonder if you can share with me a little bit about some of the um, routines and practices that help you be your best and that you model for your players. I know that you hike and I know that you have your own sort of fitness regimen and like just sort of how you live your life as an example and then teaching others how to do that. Okay. And yeah. th- this could be a little controversial. Th- this works for me. And okay. I realize everyone has their stuff. And, and I have a lot of physical baggage as far as four knee surgeries, back surgery, I had a <laughs> neck that was tweaked. And I've, I've had all of these things. Uh-huh. So but having said that, you know, being a former athlete, and, and I'm a PE teacher. Um, and I've been a fitness professional before I've, I've been a personal trainer. And, I, and I'm mm-hmm. so the fitness industry is really important to me. Mm-hmm. I've always wanted to be a role model. So uh, to me, I believe that it's impactful. And I know that it's been impactful that my players know that I'm not asking them to do stuff that I never would do, or I'm not doing currently, or I haven't done before. Yeah. You know, we, one of the things that we do when we, when we set our goals for a season and then they, and I, I, I send them on a big, like a two, two to three mile run straight uphill of a mountain in Tahoe or somewhere. <laughs> and we get up to the absolute top and we speak our goals to the, to the world and this panoramic view, which is, is unbelievable. Right. Mm. Well, I'm up there too, you know, so it's not like I'm just going to be, okay, I'll see you guys at the van, you know, in five hours. No, it's like, <laughs> I, so I'm doing all of that stuff. And I tell them what my Masogi is going to be. And then I do some really challenging physical things because my body is still able to do that. Mm-hmm. So that for me, one is because I love it and it's just kind of my lifestyle. They know that, Hey, I, the coach is doing this too. So this yeah. is real. So I think they really respect that. I, I don't know how I could do it if I was undisciplined in my personal life and I, and I'm preaching to my players to be disciplined. Yeah. I just think it would fall on deaf ears, you know, so they know that I'm super disciplined in my life and I'm asking them to be super disciplined. So they, I feel like they really, uh, they connect with it. And they see you setting goals too. So, you know, for the team, for the season and for yourself. And I think that's a great example as well, so that it helps them to, to know the importance of setting goals for them. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. For sure. So on this show, we talk a lot about how people find meaning in work and purpose in life. And I wonder if you have any last thoughts, any advice for our listeners about, you know, how how can they go in pursuit of, you know, what their what their role should be, what their purpose is. And I know um, you've always loved coaching and sports, but who knew that you were going to be at Sac Waldorf all these years? Yeah. So yeah. what advice might you offer our listeners, you know, to go in pursuit of their own passion and their place? Yeah, I think, well, hopefully this is going to be some good advice. I mean, the, re- the <laughs> listener will have to decide for that, but I, I'm always striving to get better, right? So every year, okay, how can I improve myself as a coach or whatever? And, and I was reading a book from Pete Carroll, um, who was the coach for the Seattle Seahawks. And, um, and he, it was a book that I believe is called Winning Forever. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I'm I'm reading it, and it just uh, I something stopped me dead in my chest. I'm like, oh my god, this is it. Mm-hmm. And basically, his story was he was uh, reading a book on John Wooden, mm-hmm. the famous coach for uh, UCLA Bruins, and mm-hmm. he, he he came up with the pyramid of success, which many people have probably in their audiences probably have, have heard about that. It's a philosophy of sport and coaching by John Wooden. That's kind of like the gospel to the, in the coaching world. When Pete Carroll read that, his kind of aha moment went, oh my God, you know, this is what I need to do for myself. You know, because most coaches, when they're asked, you know, what's your philosophy, I could give you right now my philosophy and I could just, and, and I'm, and it might sound pretty good. 
And then tomorrow you could ask me the same question and I would say, and it might be a little bit different. And that always bothered me that just depending on the day it's, and depending on how articulate I am that day, the mm -hmm. words are going to come out however they are. Mm -hmm. And I wanted something that was a little more concrete. So what Pete Carroll did was he decided to create his own pyramid of success with his philosophy of coaching. Mm -hmm. And so he spent about the next six months and just studying and doing things and what, and looking back on his career and what has worked and what hasn't worked. And he created this document and, and that was really a powerful moment for me to say, you know what, I have John Wooden's pyramid of success on my wall right now. And I would look at it on a regular basis, but it, all it was, was a document with that. It was signed by him because I mm. fortunately got to meet him, but it was, it was just a document that it was nice to read, but it didn't have any personal connection to me. So when I decided to do that myself, you know, what is my philosophy of coaching? What is my philosophy of sport? Mm -hmm. And I did the same thing. I spent a couple of months of really kind of looking back on my career and what has worked and what hasn't worked. And I created my own pyramid of success, which is in my book. Mm -hmm. And, um, and that has been a, a really powerful moment for me. And it really kind of, even though I was already 29 years into my coaching career, mm -hmm. I basically started for, uh, anew. Mm -hmm. and, and, I, and I say that in, in people that are trying to find meaning and, and passion in their life or whatever, you could do this for anything. You could do it for exercise. You could do it for just physical well-being. You could do it for your, your professional career. You could mm -hmm. do it for a, a relationship. You could do it for what do you want to do in your future. So I really put down on paper, what are the non-negotiables for me as a coach? What are the, what's the environment that I want to create mm -hmm. uh, for my players? And what are the things that have to happen on a daily basis for me to be successful? Mm -hmm. And just as a final note on that, I mean, not that the, 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 the scoreboard is, is the greatest um, indicator of anything, but I did that you know, before the 2016 season and 2016, 17, 18, and 19, all four of those years, we were league champions. Two of them, we were undefeated league champions. We went to the uh, section finals twice. We went to the final four every four, every single year, mm. ranked in Northern California in the top five. So we, we did some pretty extraordinary things every single year mm. by instilling these this philosophy. Mm. And um, so I, I really believe anybody to really sit down and, and reflect on one's life and say, okay, now what, what has been great for me? What has really served me? What hasn't? Mm -hmm. And then what would you want it to be sure. and take the time to create that. And then when you have it, you got to live by it. And so it. that to me has been, has been an incredible uh, process for me. Awesome. Well, Dean Stark, thank you so much for being on the Make Meaning podcast. It's such a pleasure to speak with you. Yeah. Well, again, I really appreciate the time given. So thank you very much, Lynn. Thanks for listening to the Make Meaning Podcast with Lynn Galadner. You can find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. If you like what you've heard here, join us over at makemeaning.org to discover how you can add more meaning to your life. And hey, if you like our conversations, please subscribe and share this episode with the meaningful people in your world.